Texas fans, and welcome to the Beyond the Stats podcast powered by Horns Illustrated. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'm Riley Zayas, your host of the podcast, and Luke White will be joining us shortly to talk about the huge comfort behind victory over Oklahoma State this past weekend for the Texas football team. Uh, some, some news on Texas volleyball. We'll be talking about all that coming up here shortly. But before that, we have Octavius Bishop. Coming on to the podcast, this dude played offensive line for the Texas Longhorns football team uh, in 1994 through 1998. Just standout guy uh, and really looking forward to having him on. He played professionally uh, in Europe, in the XFL, and in the NFL. Uh, You guys will really, really enjoy hearing from Octavius here in a few minutes. But before we get into that, I want to thank some of the sponsors who help Horns Illustrated give you the coverage on the Longhorns you want. Such as Fanatics, ESPN Plus, Got Some Real Estate, and Hyde Park Schools, Turning Panthers into Longhorns. Also visit hornsillustrated.com. You'll find more sponsors over there on our website. And also on our website is plenty of great content. We're covering the Texas volleyball team heading into match week against Baylor after an after a off week uh, this past week. And then uh, the Texas football team, we're covering everything from Tom Herman's presser this afternoon to uh, the Oklahoma State win. Five questions from Steve Habel. Check that out on our Facebook. And speaking of social media, we're on all things social media Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll keep you up to date with the latest from the Longhorns. And uh, without further ado, we have Octavius Bishop joining us right now. Well, here is Octavius Bishop now joining us on the Beyond the Stats podcast. Octavius, thanks so much for coming on. And how's everything going for you today? Oh, thank you well. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Um, just here at the my, my family, my, my um, Southwest campus here in Austin, looking out this, this beautiful day. Yeah. It's, it's so awesome. And, uh, yeah, you just got to be thankful for, for each and every day. And, uh, you know, number one, what are some of your thoughts just on, on the UT football team so far this season? You know, they've really shown some tremendous fight, uh, you know, over these courses, several overtime games, several close games in Big 12 play. Just what are some of your overall thoughts watching and being a, you know, former UT player? saw their, their their fight you know it never died and and you see that throughout all their games you know Texas Tech is another one that comes to mind that huge comeback with just about you know three minutes to go and you know it really takes the whole team I like how you said that you see saying some, some things from different perspective because really if you've been in it you've been a part of it you know the ins and outs and you know some of the challenges players are dealing with as well as uh, some of the things that maybe they need to work on that just the average fan wouldn't necessarily pick up on and you know I'm gonna get to I want to get to the Ricky Williams you, you briefly mentioned that uh, and how you play offensive line for the Longhorns but I want to go back a little bit further than Texas you were a standout offensive lineman at Houston Westfield uh, High School and I know you had a unique journey to football you started a little bit late 
but were helped on and off the field by Coach Emery Bullard, who has some Texas ties of his own. Yeah, um, yeah. Coach, coach uh, Emery Bullard, God went rest his soul, was a uh, was a godsend for me um, at a time in my life where uh, I really didn't uh, believe in myself, um, and I had someone finally uh, to he was like an angel for me to come into my life. To make a long story short, and to finally have somebody, another strong man. Uh, not growing up in the home with uh, a father, I really needed those uh, male influences. And uh, the good Lord sent me uh, Coach Ballard and, and a bunch of other coaches on, on the staff uh, who really uh, uh, took to me. And, and then as soon as I saw that somebody was paying attention in the right way, um, I, I started to flourish. You know, I went into high school on third grade reading level. I had been in resource classes and some special classes my whole entire life. But by the time I, I got to UT, there was a, a plan for me. Um, somebody saw something in me. They saw something in me. The staff, the coaches, the teachers in me that I didn't see in myself. Once I began to, um, to be encouraged, once I began to gain some confidence in the classroom, I started to thrive on the football field. And from there, I went on and was able to have a uh, successful uh, high school career as, as Parade All-American uh, uh on all, all state and and uh, so uh, some great things happened um, at, at Westfield High School. What a what a wonderful place it was for me with the guys I played with, that I stayed in communication with, and um, the wonderful staff that was there. I'm so thankful to have had them in my life at that time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And, you know, you spoke of kind of his influence, uh, Coach Bowler's influence in your life. And, you know, I know you've done similar things uh, here in the Austin area for, for other local kids and kind of, you know, using your experiences growing up and doing that to now help other kids who may might be in similar situations, you know, looking for, for similar things like that. And, uh, you know, that's really awesome to see that you're really taking what you learned and what you took away and what Coach Buller taught you and now applying it to your life now. Yes. Oh, yeah, that, that, that has been uh, a, a, a driving force in my life to truly be uh, a, a servant, more of a servant than, than have jobs. The, the, the positions I've had uh, in, in, within the community and professionally have definitely been positions more of uh, a, 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 what I consider a servant, right? I'm a, I'm a family pastor here at Life, Life uh, Austin, uh, Life Family here under, under Randy Phillips uh, Ministry, but I'm also I'm also a professor. I've been a professor at Austin Community College for uh, since 2011, and so those I, I've been a, uh, I've been serving students and serving people, uh, families and marriages and individuals, trying to really help them make some great decisions. I've also worked at many of the schools around here with the at-risk population uh, for kids that grew, that grew up like myself. So I, I've been really blessed uh, to be able to make a living um, actually doing something to truly serve the community. And I love the Austin area. I worked in, I worked in Young Life uh, in, in West Austin. I worked in East Austin at LBJ. I worked North Austin. I worked South Austin. So I've been all over the city of Austin and across 35 back and forth really uh, trying to spread the good nature of, of, of servant leadership. Yeah, and you're you know you're a great example of that. You know that servant leadership attitude, that hardworking attitude. Really, uh, as you mentioned, you started high school at third grade reading level. A lot of people were giving up. You did not. You know you kept you kept um, you know you focused and worked hard and did everything that you needed to do to get to that point to where you ultimately had the opportunity to play at UT. And you know uh, don't want to bounce around too much, but I know that UT has that kind of catchphrase where it's what starts here changes the world. And you've certainly done that both on the football field, now in the Austin area. And what ultimately made you say, UT's the place that I want to spend my college career? Uh, was it was it Coach Bullard's influence being that he had you know been at UT or was it just that was the best option? It was close to home? Yeah, for, 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 for me, you know, the University of Texas is really the only school that I was considering in the state. I um, and it was somewhat in the was, was somewhat in the mix, but uh, UT was in the state. UT was really the the, the prime school. Uh, I was born in Jackson, Tennessee, raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is an hour and fifteen minutes from Chicago, and then I went to high school in Houston. So really, I had more ties to uh, the, the Midwest, and so for me, um, Notre Dame football was everything. So uh, for me, I, I really wanted to, you know, I, I really thought hard about going to Notre Dame. Uh, Tennessee was also a, a very uh, 
my strong player uh, in, in my in my recruiting uh, also. But ultimately, um, I was able to to recognize that hey, where did I want to live? You know, and I knew that I wanted to live in the state of Texas. And um, if I was going to live in the state of Texas, uh, I, I I wanted to choose the flagship school uh, in the state of Texas because this is where I was. My life would, would ultimately be uh, after my playing career, uh, where I would raise my family, where I would go to church, where I would be able to truly serve you know, the community. And so that's kind of how I made my decision. And my, and my mom also went on a trip with me to to Austin. The only trip she went on in I saw just how um, uh, of an impact the University of Texas and, and, and that staff with Coach, with Coach uh, McAvick and uh, Bucky Gottbold and um, <laughs> Cleve and, and Jane Bryant, all those wonderful people who really took my mother under her, under, under, under their wing. And um, she had a wonderful time uh, while I was here. So I knew I'd make the right decision uh, by making sure it wasn't too far uh, from home. Yeah. Well, that's that's really cool, and it's interesting. You know, you you had the opportunity to go to several different places in different states, and ultimately, you know, chose Texas. But Texas is, you're right, a flagship school. There, take one look at you know everything that Texas offers, and it's truly a, an incredible place. And you know, I've heard you say several times too that that your experience at UT not only allowed you to play football at a high level, but allowed you to grow as a man, to build those relationships and lifelong friendships. Uh, it, it learned what ultimately really meant to be a family where you guys held each other accountable uh, across the team. Yeah, so that, you know, that, that, that's great, um, uh, a shift in the conversation because, you know, I, there's something athletes deal with uh, at every level. And, and University of Texas is very special. Uh, and I had to really uh, come to terms with my identity uh, once my career was over because uh, spending so much time in the locker room and and being in that bubble uh, of safety, right? I, I loved my I loved more I loved my teammates more than than what I disliked about them. And that's kind of contradictory to what we see in our society today, right? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 in the locker room, you can you can you can be different, right? In the locker room, you can um, you don't have to be. You have believers, you have non-believers, you have some. You even have some guys who are trying who are struggling with their sexuality. You have all of these different things that are taking place uh, in a locker room, but yet you're playing as one uh, with one heartbeat. Uh, you're looking you're looking out for your brother. The brotherhood is formed, and when that's over, wow. Um, there was a, a level of depression and sadness that I that I had experienced um, until it was over, and I realized that once I went back in the world, I realized that the things that uh, society was was worried about, or the, the major issues that society was dealing with, I wasn't dealing with uh, issues related to um, you know the, the racial unrest or uh, many things uh, that are just plaguing our our, our nation now. Um, we, I had to come face to face with, uh, and, and because it didn't matter, it was about what I did on the field. So I struggled. I struggled because I, at some point, I uh, had to realize that performance wasn't uh, the determinant factor. Usually, a lot of times, yeah. in, in whether or not I got a job or whether or not I was going to be accepted, uh, there that relationship had to be built outside the locker room. And so it, it took a while, and I think every athlete goes through that. Wow, that's that's really interesting that you bring that up because. I would completely agree. I think uh, you know I've heard many guys talk about that, where it's you know you build this this strong bond with with the rest of your teammates and, and everybody else around you, and you, know, you guys become like a family throughout the season. Especially for you guys, you know at Texas, you are you know throughout the entire fall, the spring, you are almost always working out together, studying, doing all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, I would totally imagine that it would be uh, it would be definitely different. Uh, when you get out to to the world where it's not that same mentality, that's right. And, and you know, I, the, the the world is uh, it, it, it can be a cool place. It, it, it was a uh, I was I was protected. You know, for those for those five years I was on campus at UT, um, uh, really really being molded, really finding my way, scholarly, academically, making mistakes, but yet still overcoming those mistakes. All those things we need. So it was a great time to grow. It was a time to grow. Like I said, you can make mistakes, 
Uh, but yet you could actually come back from those mistakes. And I, I made my share of mistakes where I was able to come back and um, have a successful career. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Well said. Well said. And you know, uh, speaking of, you know, you grew both on and off the field. On the field, you play on the offensive line when Ricky Williams was in the UT backfield, leading the way, the rushing attack. Two questions on this for you, but number one, what was that experience like? Just playing a tremendous role in the success of not only the rushing attack but the offense and the team overall. Yeah, it was a uh, tremendous experience, and I, I at, at times, uh, I think we, I think we all uh, in, in our lives, many times as we age, we kind of wish we would have savored it a lot, a lot better. Uh, at the time, I was here on campus, so you have to understand, um, Priest Holmes was was a was a running back here. Uh, so in, in the backfield, for the times I was I was here, pre, uh, we had Priest Holmes. We had Sean Mitchell and we had Ricky Williams. Uh, we had three, three, three <laughs> running backs in the backfield. Uh, two, two that went on to play long careers in, in, the, in the NFL. So to be honest with you, we, I really didn't even, even understand the significance. I just felt this is what it was, I, I was, was supposed to be. But truly, we were actually doing something much more special. Uh, and I, now I'm able to sit back years later. It was. It was truly a uh, a powerful offense, and you know it's it's no secret that the offensive line maybe doesn't get the attention it deserves. You know, people sometimes only will notice when you know there's a missed block or, or something like that. So, I guess my question to you would be: What did off playing offensive line teach you about selflessness? Really doing it for the team, knowing that you know you probably won't have your name in the paper the next day. You know, if UT has a good game rushing or, or does well, but you know inside that you play a huge role in that success, you guys in the offensive line. Yeah, you know that's that, that's interesting. You know, um, society, not but the fans don't 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 really know, uh, or, or even the sports writers, really sports writers are the people who are, who are behind the scenes totally understand it. But you know what? In the locker room, there's a level of respect. Uh, that, 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 that you get because they, the people that are able in the building are able to see your hard work. So we do get get the credit. We get the credit at, at, the, at the family level, right? We get the credit at the brotherhood level. We get the the, 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 the locker room credit <laughs> per, per se because because we are there so long. We're the first, first ones out there, and yet some of the last ones to leave. You know, we we, we lift weights more. We, we you know, there's a lot more uh, to, that we have to do as a unit. Uh, which means we are always together, right? But there's a level of love that is envied uh, uh, in, in the offensive line room, right? Uh, so many of the, the little guys always want to come by the big guys' room because there's a, there's a there's a sense of love and connection uh, and, and honor that goes along with being an offensive lineman, and particularly at the time I was here and the great ball players I played with. Uh, we we honor and relish in, in the fact that we were actually leading the way. Uh, but, Getting the accolades of getting our name out there—that that never really, never really mattered. We knew what we were doing. What we were doing was special, so we didn't. We didn't really need to hear it. Uh, we yeah. knew it for ourselves. The film doesn't lie. Uh, the numbers don't lie, and they will always be there for history. And that's that's incredible, and that's a really good perspective on it as well. And interesting that you bring that up. And uh, in addition, you know, offensive linemen. I mean, you guys, it was no easy task either, like you just mentioned. I mean, you guys faced a different group of offensive or of, of defensive ends, defensive, you know, linemen overall. And that's not easy because you got quick guys coming around the outside and, you know, you miss one yeah. block or something and, you know, the quarterback's going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think offensive line is it's interesting. You know, you, you know, quickness is a state of mind. So, um, if, if, if I think about getting to a spot before I, uh, before my opponent does, more than eight times out of ten, uh, I'm probably going to be able to get to that spot. Uh, the problem is with offensive line is you can play, you can play a great game uh, for for 95 percent of the game, and a guy beat you one time, and, and he's had a great game. <laughs> and so that that's the that's the uh, unique challenge with offensive line that I, that I always cherish, right? Uh, the goal was to shut the guy down. And if you're able to shut that person down uh, when they don't get the tackle, then you shut them down where you're always, your footwork and, and your strength takes into the space and needs you to break big runs. 
then you've done your you've done your job. So you have to be focused as an offensive lineman, uh, and in your repetition, uh, in, in your reactions, and your response to the game, and understandable minimum of the game uh, of when to do what you need to do, uh, understand the situation of the game. So there's a lot to understand uh, as an offensive lineman. But you are on a on thin ice. You got a guy over there who's uh, usually highly athletic, uh, probably faster and quicker. But you have to think quicker than them. Yeah. Well, that's that's really uh, really interesting. You're kind of going in the mind of offensive linemen and kind of the stuff you guys are thinking about. One thing that just kind of comes to mind that maybe some of the fans have even thought of as well is you know sometimes you'll see a quarterback when he might be under center or something he goes and tells the offensive lineman you know changes the play or audible or whatever you know when you're out there on that field uh, with you know, key play coming up and there's an audible or something and you know you're already thinking about getting to one spot now you have to you know do a completely different block or get to another, how does that kind of, uh, you know, just affect things? And, and what is some of the stuff you guys think about during that point in time? So, so that, that's a great question too. And, and great. Uh, so, so, so I have to give some insight on that. So if you, if you've done your work and you've been um, studying all week, listening to the coach, uh, more than likely what's happening on the field is not anything new. Very rarely have I, uh, played in a game where it was something new. Um, I've, I've had some great coaches uh, to be able to uh, really help me anticipate uh, what's going to happen. So in my tenure, in my experience, and through my whole career, uh, I haven't been really shocked by what I saw on the field uh, because what, if, it, if it was a mistake that was made, it was usually made by me. It wasn't usually something made by uh, that the coaches didn't see or somebody didn't see. That, that's very rare. Um by the time I got to the game, I already kind of knew what was going to happen. I, I've, I've already played the game before the game, so I've already already seen the shifts happening. I know the numbers that are coming in the games. I know the weaknesses and strengths of the people that I'm playing. So for me, when, when the play was changed, uh, most times I was already changing the play in my mind because I've already seen this happen, uh, whether it's the ro- rotation of, of the secondary or the movement of, of the linebackers or the shifting of, of the defensive line. So at a high level, it's doing it's, it's indicative to, to study the game so that you understand what's going to happen. Anticipation is such a key, key, key word as it relates to football. And if you're able to anticipate and make the proper choice, then you're able to think quickly. Wow. Yeah. That's that's really interesting, too, just like from what you were saying. You guys, you have to focus on everything that's going on in the field at one time. And I like how you anticipation. That's that's extremely key, you know, for football, but especially for the offensive linemen, you know, to be able to anticipate what the defense is going to do, uh, you know, where the where your your opponent on the defensive line is going to go, and you know everything that plays into that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah it's it's, um, it, it, it's key. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so so when you when you anticipate, you, you learn all the anticipation. Now you have to think about technique, right? So so you have to do it all. With technique, um, you can anticipate and still get in the right spot and still get blown up because you don't have the right technique. So, you know, pad level, deep in, making the right steps uh, over and over and over, being repetitive about it, uh, making sure that you're in communication with the guy that's playing next to you uh, is it, so key. One thing about the offensive line is you, you're playing as one. Uh, you, you, you know, you look at your hand, you make a fist, and that fist has to be able to punch uh, all at once. And when it doesn't punch it at once, and there's a finger poked out, one of the fingers is going to break. Once, it's, once the finger breaks, then that's going to be an opening. Huh. Well, that's that's incredibly, incredibly interesting. And, you know, you really were able to take, obviously, uh, apply it. You know, you studied the game extremely well. And we wanted to play professionally, uh, spent time in the NFL, NFL Europe, the XFL, what are just one or two memories that maybe you have from that time playing football professionally? Oh, man, I got a, I, I got a few, few stories, but <laughs> all of those were really neat, neat experiences, um, particularly NFL Europe, being able to travel in, in, in Europe and play throughout Europe and Spain and uh, Germany was, was, was beautiful. And, and in Amsterdam, uh, the, the, the Dutch people were so kind to us. I mentioned really uh, friends for life that I'm still friends with. Um, Playing and uh, having a chance to be a freezer in Atlanta first was, was, was a good thing, but uh, it was my time in Oakland where I really uh, was able to become witness to what it means to be a true professional. Um, you know, you had Tim Brown on the team, you have Steve Wisniewski who's still in the community 
here out, out he lives in the community here out in, um, in the, uh, on the BKF area. Uh, he also went to my high school. Um, uh, we went to the same high school. So, uh, and Lincoln Kennedy, who I, who I played behind, uh, we, there were some great, great men that I was able to be around uh, to really show me how to be a professional, true professional. But a story that sticks out was I was in, we were playing a preseason game. John Gruden was the, was the coach at, at this time. Uh, in, the, in, in 2000, and we were playing a preseason game in, in uh, St. Louis, in the St. Louis Rams at the time. And I remember uh, in a meeting, John Gruden was talking about some of the guys being in St. Louis and that we should go see that big arc out there because some of you are not going to be here after this game because you have to make a cut. Isn't that right, Octavian? <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he, called my name, he called my name out, and man, I started shaking in my boots. And I um, uh, remember the game started, and then all of a sudden, uh, a few a few series went, and all of a sudden my name was my, my number was called. So it was a whole psychological play and how I was going to respond. And I had a make a long story. So I had a good, a good game that game. Uh, I had a chance to go get split a little, and I did you know help my own. Uh, it was a great defensive end at the time. It was preseason, but it was good. And I get back to the locker room. I come out of the shower. And then right, right beside me, I I I, I started smelling uh, polo cologne, uh, the old green bottle polo cologne, and, and and this is what I hear. I hear, Octavius, son, I'm so glad you're here. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. And I looked up, and it was Al Davis. And I just couldn't. All, all I can say is, yes sir, yes sir. I looked down. To put my socks on, I looked up and he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like he just disappeared, vanished, like he vanished in thin air, and I, I, I never even, uh, never, never saw him. But it was such a neat experience of you know being being in his presence and, and being a, a part of that organization at the time. It's exactly what I needed. Wow, <laughs> that's that's crazy. And you know, uh, you mentioned also uh, playing over in Anst- Amsterdam and. What is football like over there in Europe as compared to, to the United States? You know, football, professional football is such a small, small world. And the NFL was attached at the time to the, to the, to the NFL Europe um, League. So many of the guys you maybe are playing against in college or even playing against professionally are, are in NFL Europe trying to uh, better their career and get back on the NFL team. So it's not a whole, whole lot of uh, professional football players out there, right? Very, very few. So the people you run into, you've seen before, uh, depending on the area you were in. So it was, as far as the play, it was pretty similar. I, I it was football, but the the enthusiasm of uh, the Dutch was awesome. Uh, we, we played in the in the national soccer stadium, uh, same national soccer stadium uh, that that uh, that Amsterdam plays in, and we shared that stadium. But I mean, the the, the Dutch filled it up. Uh, that they. I mean, they were loud. Uh, we had a, a great time, and um, we were treated with such respect. Wow. Well, that's that's really cool. I've heard, you know, from multiple guys who have gone over and played, uh, or whether, you know, they, the NFL now does some of those games over and plays in England and other places, but England always always fills up uh, Wembley Stadium, and I imagine, like you say, it was the, the same over there in Amsterdam. And you know, uh, last question for you, Octavius. But you know, you're extremely strong Christian. Uh, you know, a pastor here in the Austin area. You know, how has your strong faith in Christ really helped you, uh, driven you throughout your football career, now in life, and just just overall? Yes, you know, for for, for me, uh, faith faith has been a uh, a strong part um, in, in my life, my entire life. Uh, even even during the times early in life where life was difficult uh, and struggle, it was my faith that really uh, that kind of got me through uh, those, those times. And you know, I, you know, life has lived somewhere between the bottom and the summit, right, of a mountain. And so I've traveled and continue to travel back and forth between the bottom and the top of the summit. Uh, but what I learned is I can't live on top of the summit because there's no nourishment there. So I've, I've really uh, learned to go down into the valley uh, to, to, get, to get my nourishment to go back on a trip again. And so my, my journey has been a trip up and down the mountain, and it continues to be a trip up and down the mountain, through the, through the valley, through the wilderness, uh, and, and really searching myself to be a better self, right? Uh, and so my, it's, my faith has shaped everything about me on how I'm 
so cool to be able to see you know you uh just living out your faith that philosophy is, is amazing and uh you know just you're really inspiration to to a lot of people including myself and you know uh appreciate you coming on octavius taking the time to talk with us a little bit about texas football the offensive line what you're doing in the community now and and everything else thank you so much have a great day god bless, god bless. Well, there he goes. That is Octavius Bishop, former offensive lineman for the Texas Longhorns. Also played professional football. Now currently a pastor, family pastor at Life Austin Church uh, here in the Austin area. And uh, we thank him so much for taking the time. Coming up here in just a few seconds, we will have Luke White join me as we talk about the Oklahoma State game and the week ahead for the Texas Longhorns. Well, welcome back, Texas fans, to the Horns Illustrated Beyond the Stats podcast. I'm here joined by Luke White now. Luke, how's everything going for you today? Doing good. Can't wait to talk some uh, Texas sports. Yeah, it's definitely a lot to talk about following this uh, Oklahoma State win. You know, we just talked with Octavius Bishop early on in the show, and, you know, he talked about the tremendous uh, importance of the offensive line to Texas's success when he was playing there than even now. And we really saw that on Saturday against Oklahoma State. Uh, Texas had a had a very good rushing attack, but more importantly, Sam Ellinger had the protection he needed to find receivers downfield. For sure, the, um, Texas offensive line, they definitely stepped up in this game, which is something that uh, they definitely needed going, to, going against this Oklahoma State uh, defense. And uh, that gave Ellinger the time, uh, especially late in the game, to just make plays happen, and most notably on um, that fourth down that gave Texas the lead uh, just before the end of regulation uh, when he found Jake Smith in the end zone. They definitely stepped up big there. And uh, more on that, on Jake Smith, it was definitely good to finally have him back at uh, full health for this game. And he's showing um, talent that he can bring on the field. He showed uh, flashes of it last year, but for, for the remainder of this year, Texas is looking to keep him as a starter. And uh, also, talking about that UTA offense, is, uh, they used uh, B. John Robinson in uh, Saturday's game a lot more than they typically do. And he definitely showed uh, why he was recruited. Uh, definitely uh, force on the field. It takes a lot to bring him down. Yeah. And he's going to be a big part of that uh, UT offense for years to come, I feel like. Oh, exactly. I would, uh, I would totally agree with that. You know, the fact that, the way Texas played. Now, Texas won, won the game 41-34 in overtime, but, Luke, one thing I wanted to point out there with them using B.R. Robinson more, uh, Keontae Ingram suffered an ankle injury in that game. He will be out uh, for this Saturday's game against West Virginia, so that's definitely something to note. Uh, Roshan Johnson and B.J. Robinson will pick up more of the load. 
hey, we may even see Gabriel Watson get in there. He has not gotten in too much this, this season, but talented running back out of D2, University of Sioux Falls, and uh, he's a graduate transfer, a guy that could really make an immediate impact for the Longhorns. So definitely something to watch is Texas' rushing attack uh, this Saturday against West Virginia. For sure, and you talked about the loss of Chianta Ingram, and I feel like that's definitely that's definitely going to be uh, – it's, it's going to be a loss for Texas, but I don't think it's going to be as major as some might think, just because uh, Texas still has uh, both B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson, both uh, proven running backs that can definitely uh, help Texas when needed uh, on the ground. So, and Keonta Ingram, why I do feel like he was one of the more underrated running backs uh, in the Big 12 this year. Texas this year, unlike last year, does have the depth uh, – to kind of, if there is a loss at that uh, running back position, they have the depth to kind of back it up uh, when needed. Yeah, and and you know, just just a question for you, Luke. What did Texas do right in this game? That you know, facing number six Oklahoma State, arguably the best opponent of the season, that they did wrong possibly against TCU and Oklahoma when they suffered uh, those tough, very close losses. Oh, I think the biggest thing, especially against Oklahoma State, is they really shut down Shuba Hubbard, the star running back. Uh, Shuba did really great against Texas last year in uh, OK State's loss in, here in Austin. But uh, this year, he had nothing going. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he only averaged maybe three yards a carry. And uh, big props to Texas for that. The one bright spot of um, the Cowboys' offense, though, was wide receiver Tylen Wallace. And also, in my opinion, uh, Dylan Stoner, another wide receiver. Uh, they just made really great catches on balls that maybe weren't thrown the best. They just made plays happen, uh, specifically Tylen Wallace. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he finished with um, uh, two touchdowns. I know he had at least one. Yeah. Um, yeah, two touchdowns, uh, 187 yards on 11 receptions, averaging 17 yards uh, uh, um, a reception. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that was really key for for the Longhorns, uh, or rather for the Cowboys, I should say, uh, which which allowed them to stay in that game. We just saw that fact that it seemed like their defense got very tired. Texas were in an up-tempo offense, especially uh, in the second half. And, you know, all this talk about Oklahoma State's defense coming to the contest, and then we suddenly see – it, they just weren't playing at the level that you expected them to play to, right? You expected, you know, Texas, they were the underdogs, and you expected maybe Texas would fight, but not stay in the game as close as they did for as long as they did, and ultimately went in overtime uh, with, you know, Texas had the chance uh, to, to win the game right there in regulation. Oklahoma State kicked a field goal at the end uh, with about five seconds to go to push it into OT, but... You know, just a, a phenomenal game back and forth. And, you know, one one other guy that I think we should definitely spotlight on the Texas defense is Joseph Osai. He will go on the cover of our Horns Illustrated Digital Magazine. The next one, his performance was phenomenal. I mean, I don't even think you can put into words his role uh, in the in the team's win. Absolutely. And uh, he was uh, praised for that performance with, uh, by winning uh, the uh, – uh, defensive player of the week award uh, for every player of the nation. And just to read off some of his stats from that game, he had 12 total, tackle, 12 total tackles, three sacks, and six tackles for loss. Uh, the most notable sack being to end the game when he sacked uh, Spencer Sanders on fourth down in overtime. And uh, he uh, kind of uh, emerged last year in the Alamo Bowl, um, and he was really showing what all he can do from a Texas defense. He was moved to that uh, hybrid jack position where he's been playing this season. And he's just been so great for the Texas defense and Chris Ash, uh, the defensive coordinator, uh, a great pass rusher. He completely broke through the Cowboys' offensive line to uh, put constant pressure on Spencer Sanders, which uh, uh, was certainly evident in some of his uh, throws. Yeah, I mean, you could see that Spencer Sanders was not comfortable back there. One thing that I think should be noted is the fact that Spencer Sanders was returning from an injury. He had not been playing. Uh, And so you think, you know, Oklahoma State's defense and Chuba Hubbard with the rushing attack had really carried the Cowboys. They had Spencer Sanders back, but he obviously wasn't too confident, still trying to to get his, his feet under him. 
uh, and get back into, you know, game mode. Uh, he had not faced that kind of a defense probably at all this season. Uh, was injured against Tulsa in their opening game. And uh, so that's also something to note. But, yeah, Joseph Osai just kept breaking through the offensive line. If there's a group uh, on Oklahoma State's team right now that that uh, you could pinpoint was partially responsible for that loss, it's going to be the Oklahoma State offensive line. They could not uh, protect Spencer Sanders at all uh, for much of the game. And perhaps that's just because Texas' defense was so prepared and so good. Uh, because, you know, Oklahoma State's offensive line have been really, really good throughout the whole season so far. For sure. And going into this, we weren't quite sure how Texas was going to fare, specifically the defense against um, this Oklahoma State offense that we were talking about had the three of the monsters, Sanders, Hubbard, and uh, Wallace. But um, Texas defense, just credit them for just showing up and uh, proving the doubters wrong. Uh, they did great against... Um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, against stopping Hubbard, and that's kind of what led to the Cowboys' loss and maybe them not necessarily developing a big lead earlier in the game. And uh, once again, we just saw the fight in the Texas team, specifically quarterback Sam Ellinger, for uh, the third overtime game this year and bringing them back from um, an early deficit. And uh, uh, this time, unlike the, uh, for the second uh, overtime game this year, uh, where they left with a win, and uh, Ellinger, man, he just makes plays happen even when he's being rushed and he's got to scramble for a play multiple times today. We just saw him make a play happen out of nowhere yeah. when it looked like he was getting sacked or he was just going to have to throw it away. Yeah. So credit to him for that one. Exactly. One thing that I would like to uh, ask you about, Luke, is last week our podcast title was which Big 12 team is keeping the Big 12's college football playoff hopes alive? That was Oklahoma State for us last week. They were undefeated. They appeared to be the only team that could still make the college football playoff, considering that now you have all five Power Five conferences playing when the Pac-12 starts this Saturday. And, you know, you have several teams that are still undefeated. Big 12 now does not have a single undefeated team. Will we see the Big 12 represented in the college football playoff at all? You know, it's really hard to say because – Earlier this week, I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe Oklahoma State could win out. Uh, maybe. They still need to face Oklahoma in a bedlam, which is a series that Oklahoma has dominated recently. And I just don't – it's hard to see the Cowboys winning the Big 12. Yeah. And just being in Oklahoma maybe twice. Uh, or maybe uh, beating Texas once again. It's really hard to say uh, after this game. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I feel like – Right now, it feels like, assuming they went out as expected, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State will likely be three of the four playoff contenders or uh, participants, I guess you could say. But right now, I really like Oregon's chances of making the, the playoff, too, um, considering they only play a six-game Pac-12 conference schedule. Pac-12 is, for the most part, the weakest conference, weakest Power 5 conference in the country right now. And I feel like Oregon, I just really like uh, had been looking this year. I had a great year last year where they beat Wisconsin in the uh, Rose Bowl. And I think that success is going to carry over to this year. If that's what's going to propel them, in my opinion, to that fourth and final playoff spot. Yeah. But if yeah, in the event they don't, I feel like that spot could go to an SEC team like Georgia, Florida, maybe even AM. They're looking good <laughs> this year, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Texas fans are too happy about that, but. <laughs> We'll have to see Texas A&M really playing some good football. And, you know, one thing that I also wanted to to ask you about, Luke, was the fact that, you know, I know this is a Texas Longhorns podcast, but we got to talk some college football as well. Uh, overall, the way things are shaping up across the nation. Clemson, sure. Clemson, without Trevor Lawrence this Saturday, playing number four Notre Dame. If they lose, which they very well could, South Bend's a tough environment to play in. Do you think Clemson still deserves a college football playoff spot? I do. I feel like, you know, with Trevor Lawrence on the field, they win that game. But without him, they have a a freshman quarterback starting. If Clemson has one loss, would a one-loss Clemson beat a one-loss Oklahoma State? You know, how do you you determine that? I, I, I personally think so. I think Clemson will still get a spot if they have one loss. With two losses, I don't 
think so. I think the the college football uh, landscape is too good this year. But what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I certainly agree with you on that. It's, I think the college football voters would take Clemson over Oklahoma State um, nine times out of ten. And that's even if Oklahoma State is able to finish the year with only one loss and win out while winning the Big 12 championship. And Notre Dame was another one of those teams that I wasn't really thinking about earlier. Huge matchup, like you mentioned, with Clemson this week. And I feel like if Notre Dame can indeed win, that could get into that fourth playoff spot if Clemson does indeed win out in the ACC championship. In that case, I would expect them to make the playoff maybe as like a third or a fourth seed behind Alabama and Ohio State if those two teams went out. Yeah. So definitely an interesting kind of idea putting Notre Dame in there. And if Notre Dame uh, if Notre Dame loses to Clemson, if Clemson does indeed uh, get what some might call the upset without Trevor Lawrence, if Notre Dame can win out and uh, – well, actually, let me um, rewind because it, it's possible this year with Notre Dame in the ACC that they could actually indeed face Clemson again uh, in the ACC championship. So that's an interesting matchup to look forward to later in the year should that happen. Yeah, I think so. That will be uh, very interesting to see. And, you know, we could we could very well see that. I think the other thing that's important to note is the fact that, you know, who knows if I, – I, I think that that setup, Luke, is probably the most likely right now. I think you see Ohio State make it. I think you see Alabama make it. They'll represent the Big Ten and the SEC, and I think the ACC gets the final two spots. I don't think Oregon playing a six-game conference schedule in a weak conference gets in, unfortunately. It's not nothing against the talent of their team, but their strength of schedule is just going to be lower. It's, it's the way it is. Uh, same thing I, for the I, Big I can Ten. definitely understand that, just to interrupt, but I just want to include that uh, there's even talk of a group of five team, like maybe BYU yeah. or Cincinnati, Cincinnati is a uh, seventh-ranked team right now. I mean, who yeah. knows? BYU's not far behind. No, and so we're looking at well, is this final of the year? UCF. I mean, they they you know they they got some flack for putting up a national championship banner that one year uh, when they had you know Mackenzie Milton playing quarterback, and were, I believe they went undefeated. The college football playoff committee overlooked them. Now might be the time when you look at the Pac-12 playing such a short schedule. Uh, you look at the Big Ten, Big Twelve rather, with every team having at least one loss. Um, you know, you, you start to think, well, is this the year that a team from the American Athletic Conference or an independent like BYU gets in there? Um, you know, another thing to know is the fact that you know Cincinnati's played a tough schedule, but how's the AAC compare with, say, the Big Twelve or even the Pac twelve? And, you know, I feel like that's kind of a concern because Cincinnati is certainly capable of beating a lot of uh, Power 5 teams, in my opinion. Like, a lot of teams that maybe can be considered kind of weak or even just sort of medium to a lot of uh, to teams like Texas or A&M, I think Cincinnati could definitely take them down. UCF earlier this year beat Georgia Tech, and uh, UCF lost to Memphis, um, albeit by, like, maybe three or two points. But then... Cincinnati totally clobbered Memphis by like 39 points. Yeah. So it's hard to say how Cincinnati would fare against um, a regular, typical, good uh, Power 5 team, um, and more so versus a guy, a team like uh, Clemson. Because obviously you don't want it to be a blowout, but things could lean that way yeah. if they are included in the playoff. Yeah, and that's that's very true too. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to play to be – dominate in the American Athletic Conference. It's another to be playing some of these heavyweight Power 5 programs that have historically had better success uh, come come playoff time uh, for the college football playoff. You know, bringing it back down to a level focusing on Texas, they have two losses. The, cha- the road to a Big 12 championship game, though, is still very much there now. Um, I could see Oklahoma State losing one more game. That's just the way the Big 12 is. There's so much parity amongst all the teams. But Texas needs to take care of business this Saturday. They play West Virginia in Austin. But West Virginia just beat a very, very good Kansas State team, 37-10 to 10, uh, this past Saturday. What should we expect for, from the Longhorns and from the Mountaineers, who are 
possibly better than than what we're what we're seeing. Well, like you said, I was shocked that West Virginia was able to beat Kansas State that much. Uh, and one thing that Tom Herman mentioned in his weekly press conference yesterday is that Kansas West Virginia actually has the best defense in the conference. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly um, that point total is, but uh, nonetheless, we've got a great defense. And uh, even Herman was the first to say that they're not an opponent to be taken lightly, like a lot of Texas fans may, uh, may be doing. Yeah. We all know what happened the last time West Virginia came to Austin is when they beat uh, Will Greer through that incredible pass to Gary Jennings and scored a two-point conversion to win by a point. Yeah. Obviously, uh, West Virginia this year isn't really as good as that team that year, but uh, nonetheless, they're still not an opponent to be taken lightly. Um like a lot of fans may be doing, as I mentioned. Exactly. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because Texas also kind of has um, – they always seem to lose maybe one game a year that you certainly wouldn't expect them to lose. Maybe this year about TCU, but, uh, or last year I should say. And this year it could be uh, West Virginia. West Virginia could put a scare in them. Even yeah. if UT does come out with the win. Exactly. Well, I, I think that's a very – very to be expected, I should say. Um, and one thing to watch, so a few things to watch Texas fans when uh, Texas faces off against West Virginia. One, as Luke just mentioned, the defense. Another is the rushing attack. Lady Brown uh, leads the way 694 yards this season, eight touchdowns. He has made up the bulk of their offense um, and then you obviously have uh, a three-quarterback system, more more like a, a uh, two-quarterback. Austin Kendall uh, still trying to get you know back uh, from from some being out for a little while. Uh, expect Jarrett Dodge to start at quarterback. Six one thousand six hundred ninety yards passing this season. That's that's pretty incredible. For sure, and it, it, it makes this game all the more exciting. I was pumped for the uh, uh, Texas-Oklahoma State game, but after hearing people talk about this West Virginia team, their defense and their offense, and how they're a, sl- they're a sleeper team, that they're, uh, they can be a dangerous team, but not to be taken lightly. So that makes this uh, really interesting. And if Texas does lose, it's got a huge um, – impact on the rest of the season that it couldn't even hold them back from the big 12 championship because i feel like if texas does lose one more game that could make it oklahoma and oklahoma state in the big 12 championship maybe even iowa state who knows who knows at this point nothing's out of the question uh you know and and uh you know texas fans i'll cover all this and more in my uh, weekly article three storylines to watch against west virginia uh but you know looking at the defensive line luke this is pretty incredible. We got um, leading the way, Darius Stills, defensive lineman, three and a half sacks on the season. Jared Bartlett, three and a half sacks. Jeffrey Pooler, junior, three sacks. Uh, and then you got Akeem Mizador with four. So a lot of these guys have found ways to get to the quarterback, and not just once, not twice, but multiple times. So that's something Sam Ellinger will have to look for. And perhaps – uh, with Texas not having Keontae Ingram, as we mentioned, as you mentioned, Luke, Texas has a lot of depth at the running back position. But say the running game is not going well with this huge, uh, very solid defensive line that West Virginia has, Texas is going to have to go through the air, and Sam Ellinger is not going to have a lot of time. This offensive line is very good for Texas, but they're inexperienced. They're young, and this is a West Virginia team that could take advantage of that. For sure, and the um, UT offensive line was really impressive last year, but this year it it's kind of been the opposite. They definitely performed better in the Oklahoma State game, but Ellinger this year just hasn't had a lot of time to find receivers and make good throws, and that could be contri- that could uh, be why his interception count is unusually higher this year compared to uh, twenty eighteen uh, twenty eighteen specifically, but and uh, also. Uh, when you talk about UT's receivers, Brennan Eagles Jake's, and Jake Smith, I would say, are our top receivers right now. Uh, maybe uh, – or Joshua Moore, too. How can I forget him? He's really emerged this year. They've been um, kind of on the lower end, not as popular receivers for Ellinger, are maybe Tariq Black and Brendan Schooler. 
Uh, Jordan Whittington obviously is out for a few weeks. So um, it's really going to be on those receivers if they want to propel that UT offense to a win. An interesting scenario with the receiving core, Kai Money. Typically, you'll see walk-ons. You know, Kai uh, made you know kind of headlines when he caught that touchdown reception uh, in the game against UTEP. In that game, he only had two receptions. He has not. You know, typically you'll see walk-ons. They play in that you know one game or two games or whatever a blowout. Texas has been using Kai Money because of injuries and things like that more often. He's a walk-on. Uh, but very talented, and we've seen him kind of emerge as one of those guys to come, you know, off the sidelines uh, when someone needs a break or, or whatever. Uh, he's been used in different packages and has a lot of speed. Uh, you see him running a lot of those short field routes and has pretty good hands. He's brought down quite a few receptions, and uh, Sam Ellinger has been looking for him downfield. So Texas really has some good depth at the receiving position. For sure, and I think my money kind of came onto the scene uh, due to kind of the losses, the early losses of uh, Schooler, Winnington, and Jake Smith to injuries. And he's proven that he can be an effective receiver. Uh, notably in, Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma game towards the end of regulation, he did draw a big uh, pass interference penalty that um, allowed Texas to tie it and force the game to go into overtime. So even though he is a walk-on, he's not a receiver that the um, opposing defenses can take lightly because he, he's definitely able to score a uh, Shown in the Utah game. Yeah, yeah, and really quickly before we switch to uh, a short conversation about Texas volleyball, I uh, want to play this from Tom Herman's weekly press conference. Just yesterday, uh, these were Coach Tom Herman's words to the media as he opened up his press conference. Uh, yeah, just want to start off uh, first and foremost, uh, sending our thoughts and prayers to uh, Coach D.W. Rutledge and uh, his family. I know Coach Rutledge was in a, a pretty nasty bicycle accident uh, on Friday, and uh, one of the legends, uh, not just in this state, but uh, in the country and in our sport. And uh, he's he's in ICU right now. Uh, we're, we're checking on him daily, and um, if, if you find it in your heart, uh, I know him and uh, his family certainly could use uh, your thoughts and prayers, too. Um, that being said, moving on, uh, again, great win on, on Saturday. Excited to have uh, got the job done uh, on the road against the top 10 team. And, uh, you know, but, you know, due to the uniqueness of our schedule, you know, I mean, it was, we were watching West Virginia immediately on, on Saturday night after the game. Hey, they hear it. They're ready, preparing for West Virginia uh, right after they got that huge overtime win. And uh, Luke, real quickly, Texas Volleyball plays a one-versus-two matchup. Texas Volleyball top-ranked plays number two Baylor in Austin Thursday and Friday night. That should be a phenomenal match. And Texas fans, that could be a preview of your NCAA National Championship Match now, NCAA tournament not set to be held till April. Still, some question marks about that. So, both these teams are playing for the Big 12 title right here, focusing on the here and now and a lot on the line for both these teams. This is going to be very, very competitive for sure. And it's definitely going to be different this year, um, with the game being played in the Irwin Center because I know last year, uh, Gregory Jim sold out uh, with a 4,000 uh fan crowd. So the atmosphere is definitely going to be different this year. You're not going to have that same kind of uh, intensity that the uh, teams are uh, used to playing in the Irwin Center where the capacity uh, for these volleyball matches is only 1,500. But that just kind of, in my opinion, places more emphasis on the team's play and their talent and how they perform on the court. Uh, You don't really get lost up in kind of the fans and the atmosphere. In this way, you're just kind of focused on how the teams are playing yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, a huge matchup, as I mentioned. Texas Baylor is going to be on national television. Um, so, Texas fans, make sure. If you can go in person, uh, great. But there's Urban Star is definitely going to be sold out. And uh, if you can't, you can catch it live on TV. Uh, we'll, we'll pull up some of these details for you here in just a second. But, uh, yeah, Luke, as you mentioned, along the line, and they're going to be focused, they're going to be ready to go. And, uh, yeah, despite, you know, the fans or whatever, it's going to be a home crowd 
for this Texas volleyball team. And, yeah, you can catch those matches live on Longhorn Network, Texas fans. Uh, you can see them play out 7 p.m. start both nights, Thursday and Friday night. Well, that's all the time we have, but thank you so much, Luke, for coming on to the podcast, uh, talking some Texas football with us. And, uh, yeah, we got West Virginia coming up on Saturday. Should be a phenomenal showdown for the Texas football team. For sure. It's definitely a game to look forward to. Uh, initially, it fell under the radar, but after hearing more about West Virginia and what they've accomplished this season, it's definitely going to be a good one. Yeah. Yes, it will. Well said, Luke. And uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Horns Illustrated Beyond the Stats podcast. Have a great day. Stay safe and hook them horns.